Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. Yeah, what do you think about that, huh? Some of y'all that are hearing this your first time ever, they're thinking, man, this is a weird church. Their sermon series is going to be about the weird things Christians say. Yeah, there is a method to the madness, I promise you. I'll get there in here in just a second, but welcome. What's up, Grace Bible? Good morning. I'm so glad that y'all are here. Thank you, Pastor Dave and worship team for leading us in worship. I just wanted us to keep going. I'm going to be honest with you, I just wanted to keep rolling, man. I felt like we were just hearing from the voice of the Lord, and that really is our prayer. I love that Dave said what he said, man. We... We will only worship that which stuns us. That's what moves us. Otherwise, we're just singing along. Uh, we will worship the things in life that stun us and bring us in awe. And, uh, man, honestly, that's, that's our prayer for us, that we will be stunned by God, stunned by the love of Jesus, stunned by the gap between our sin and his glory, and yet he loved us anyway. And really, that's what the conversation will be about here in just a few minutes is, um, yeah, we're going to go into this next sermon series called Say What? Uh, because uh, we have recognized that over these last couple of years, we've really been very intentional and very direct about reorienting our lives and our language around the gospel of Jesus Christ around here and also around the, around the Great Commission uh, the, the call to be a disciple who makes disciples. And we've recognized that through those many conversations we have had, there are some like commonplace words and phrases that have been rolling off our tongues, that have been coming off the stage, that have been a part of our like Bible study, small group type curriculum that might be mysterious and strange to the average listener and participant. Um, you know, words like uh, indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit, phrases like that, or we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, and so we're going to, over these next six or seven weeks, we're going to, since we are a church that is reorienting our lives around the gospel and the Great Commission, we want to make sure that we know what these things mean um, and that we are learning to use them in our lives and understand them. So really, really a twofold process is like we want you to understand what it is, of course, but that's not the paramount thing. Uh, the paramount thing is we want you to see like how these gospel truths change your life completely. And so this is important for us. And I, I, uh, I, as much as I would love to do a whole sermon series on all the weird things Christians say, because there's a bunch of weird things Christians say, uh, we're going to be talking about the weird things that Christians have been saying and quite honestly should be saying. Uh, maybe it have been a better way to frame that up. Um, as we look at these central gospel truths. If you have your Bible, uh, f start working your way towards the book of John. I'll get there in just a second. A few things I want to mention to you that are of utmost importance um, to the world of Grace Bible uh, around here is uh, thing number one. Uh, today uh, is a day of celebration, um, but yet it is also a day of, of uh, a bit of grief because we have several team members that for different reasons are headed in different directions in life, uh, we're excited. Lauren's sitting on the front row. This is her last Sunday at Grace Bible, period. She's headed to Africa. Um, yep, she leaves, I think, tomorrow or the next day to go spend some time with family, and she's gone to Africa. We celebrate that, though we grieve, and we'll see you in a couple years when you come back and visit us. 
Um, we look forward to that. Uh, we have a couple other team members that for different reasons in life are transitioning into the next season. And while we celebrate that for them, we grieve that because of the loss that is for us. Let me introduce you to a couple faces, faces that you're probably familiar with. Uh, this is Marge Fadushka, Mary Beth Van Grunsven. Uh, Marge, uh, I'm not going to tell you what birthday she just had because um, you're not supposed to tell a lady's age. Um, but she just had a birthday recently, had been praying about what was next in the seasons of life for her, and she felt like God has given her the peace to move towards retirement. And so Marge has been on our team for eight years here at GBC on staff, part of our church family for 10. And um, yeah, she's fitting to retire. Some of y'all know the beauty and the joys of retirement. Some of us will probably never know. Okay, so enjoy it for us, would you? Marge, we're grateful for her. Marge is kind of like the busy bee around here. Uh, Marge has always been the one to step in and do whatever is needed, whenever it's asked, uh, with a right heart attitude. She's just been a, a brilliant part of our team over the last several years. She has had probably five different roles on our team over the last uh, eight years or so, and um, just been a big blessing. Um, she's not just one of our team members, she's family and a friend. And um, many of you that have been a part of Grace over this last decade know Marge. And so make sure you wrap your arms around her neck. Um, she is officially retired, and we celebrate that with her today. Mary Beth, uh, here on the other side of the screen, has been on our team for the last five years. Mary Beth is a brilliant leader, problem solver, solutions-minded person. Um, she has been incredible a part of our team member as she has grown in her understanding of the gospel and how it applies to her life and how she has applied those truths to being excellent in the workplace environment and being as much a disciple maker and loving and shepherding people as she is like one of our administrative leaders here at the church that just get things done. Um, she has been a, a big time leader uh, in our church family and her, she's going to leave a gaping hole um, in, in what's going on here at GBC. We love her very much. We will miss her very much. Her and her family are moving towards St. Petersburg. Their daughter is starting her freshman year of college and St. Pete next year, they have some family that live in that area. There was just several different roads that were, or uh, uh, road signs that were leading them in that direction. And so after much prayer and consideration, they feel like in this next season of life, they need uh, to follow the Lord up to St. Petersburg. So we're going to deeply miss her and Marge. We love both of these ladies. They're like family to us. And as you see them today, especially if you know them, make sure you love on them and thank them for the, the many years that they've served here at GBC. Would you join me in thanking them? Ah. As you can see, I am adorned in the colors of freedom today, because today is Independence Day in the U.S. of A. Uh, is a day we are thankful for. <laughs> I like independence. I prefer freedom. Thank you very much. Uh, I am grateful for that. Uh, I am particularly grateful for those that have made it possible for us to have freedom and independence. Oh. Uh, we live at a time in history, at a time in our American history that there's a lot of complaining and griping and hatred. Um, and so let me just say for the record um, that there are still many of us, as a matter of fact, most of us that are grateful um, for those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice and those who continue to sacrifice so that we can continue to be free. This is a precious gift that we have that most people around the world do not get to enjoy. And we get to enjoy it here. And I will, I acknowledge that this country that we live in is in all kinds of a mess. But let me just tell you as, 
as they declare the word of God to you, like, this is not new, by the way. Okay, anywhere there is people, there's a lot of problems. And it's not going to get better from here. I read the end of the book. It actually gets worse. But the good news is, and I'm grateful, that we have been born and live at a point in history where we do walk in a free land. And I am grateful for all of, all of those of you that have, had, have played in some part in that, um, particularly our uh, military, law enforcement families that are constantly at work for the freedom of our country. So um, I do want to acknowledge to you as well, like as we remember our independence this weekend and our freedom, I do want to acknowledge you the simple fact that even in, even in a land that declares freedom, available for all, um, let's be honest. Though we live in a free country, like we are oftentimes far from free. I mean, everything that life in the world throws at us is anything but freeing. Just because we walk on free, on grass that has been made free, like we, honestly, we're so encumbered by everything that life throws at us. We're, we're so in bondage by the world around us just the chaos of humanity, like, there, as much as I love the red, white, and blue, and we live in a free country, like, let me be honest with you, like, there are many people, most people that live here in the good old free U.S. of A. that are far from free, and it's because they have, have discovered that you, you cannot find freedom from external things, even living in a free land. Like, your freedom can only come from within. I bet there's people in the deep throes of communist China, that are worshiping in underground churches, hiding from the government, that are more free than we are. I bet you. It's because they realize and recognize, man, that there is a freedom that only comes from within, that can only happen with a right transaction, a right understanding of your relationship with God. This is why John chapter 8 says, is he who the Son sets free, he who Jesus sets free, is free indeed. It really doesn't matter what's happening around you. Because a free heart, a free mind, a free spirit um, that can only come as a result of a right, right relationship with the Lord, man, is what we long for and what we need. Uh, it, it's, it's appropriate that our first conversation on Independence Day would be about true freedom that comes in knowing Christ Jesus. Um, and that would also be appropriate that we start our conversation, say what? Um, with this conversation about the good news story of God's love for us that has been displayed through his son so that we could be set free. Yes, you, even you, all of us, so that we could be set free. This is why um, weird thing Christians say, number one, that we're going to talk about because it kind of lays a foundation for everything else we're going to be discussing over these next six or seven weeks. Um, the first thing we're going to be talking about is gospel, the word gospel. We say it all the time around here. And as a matter of fact, depending on what context you're coming from, whether it be you grew up in church or what denomination you came from, or maybe you didn't grow up in church at all, maybe this is your first time ever walking into churches this morning, like when you hear the word gospel or the gospel, like we're all hearing different things. So really two goals I have today in our time together is number one and absolute most paramount, most important, absolutely most important is that you don't leave here having a, heard a sermon from me. That you leave here having heard the voice of God. 
and that you are stunned by him. Like, I don't want you to just know what the gospel is. We could, we could go to 50 different passages of scripture. We could talk about all the theological truths of the gospel. We could look at all the layers of the gospel. But, like, I don't want to leave here informing you so that you reach some intellectual assent in your mind to say, oh, well, that makes sense or that doesn't make sense. I want you to leave here having been impacted and heard the voice of God speak into your life and so that you can really experience the love that he has for you. That's number one. I want you to know what the gospel means for your life. And the second thing is, I would like for us to learn a little bit about what the gospel is. So that when we say the gospel or we talk about gospel truths or whatever around here, um, that you know what that means. That one word kind of encompasses a bunch of stuff. We won't be able to hit all the stuff today because there's a lot of layers to this extraordinary love story of God. But like, I just want to give like the, the brush over the basic truth of what the gospel is and what it means for our life. And I thought maybe the best place to do that, even though we could look all over scripture and find some really well articulated portions of the Bible that talk about the extraordinary love of God and his work for us and his sacrifice on our behalf. I figured the best place to go is probably the place that we're already the most familiar with. Many of you in here even grew up saying this one Bible verse, which I call the gospel in a nutshell. We find it in John chapter 3. Guess where? What verse? What verse? Yeah. All right. 316. Tim Tebow even wrote it under his eyes. Must be important, right? John 316. Now, some of y'all may have grown up having memorized this. Uh, some of you, this will be the first time you've heard it. You can read it off the screen. If you grew up having memorized this verse in whatever translation or language you memorized it in, let's just say that together today as a declaration to the Lord. I'll even turn my microphone off so that the way I memorize it doesn't fumble you up. All right, and let's say this together. I'll get us started. For God so... Too shabby, not too shabby if your neighbor didn't confuse you by their either King James Version or way too contemporary version and you were trying to make it work. Yeah, this, this, is, this is just a quick snapshot of the big love story of God that, by the way, isn't just declared from Matthew to Revelation. It started in Genesis. Just like this, it says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Did you notice where the gospel in the nutshell started, who it started with, God. Matter of fact, I want to leave this up there for a little while while we're talking about it because I'm going to keep coming back to it. You know where the word of God, all of scripture began? God, in the beginning, God. For God so loved the world, in the beginning, God created. Like this is a reminder like right off the rip as we're looking at the gospel, the good news, uh, we need to be reminded like this begins and ends with God. This is why scripture refers to him as the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. It all started with his glory and it's gonna end with his glory. It's been a constant display of his goodness and his majesty and his holiness. And that's gonna be on full display from the first word to the last, from the beginning to the end and all throughout eternity. God so loved the world. I bring us to the second part of this gospel story. This God that it begins and ends with, like, he, he so, so loved too. The world, us, which, by the way, is an interesting turn of events when you consider that 
in the beginning God created, and in no time his creation rebelled against him. Like, the gospel story doesn't start in Genesis chapter 3 when we show up with all of our problems. The gospel story begins in Genesis chapter 1 where God in all of his majesty and all of his glory for whatever reason was so compelled to create us. And right off the rip, right from the beginning, we rebelled. By Genesis chapter 3, the first man, the first woman, the first wedding, and a honeymoon that went off the rails. Over their first honeymoon dinner. He so loved the world that rebelled against him. And let's not be so quick to blame Adam and Eve in a piece of forbidden fruit because let's be honest, like the, the lies that they believed are the same lies that we believe today. That the word of God is not true enough and the work of God is not good enough. So let me just take matters into my own hands. I saw it happen in the garden. The word of God isn't quite true enough for me, and the work of God in my life isn't quite good enough for me, so let me just take matters in my own hands. Before you know it, just like Adam and Eve, just like you and me, we start working to try to meet legitimate needs in our life in illegitimate ways, and we call that sin. Not doing it God's way, doing it our way. Because his... His words aren't quite good enough, and his work isn't quite good enough, so I'm going to just have to take matters into my own hands. I've got legitimate needs. God isn't satisfying them in a timely fashion like what I want, so I'm going to go ahead and reach for the next apple because that seems to be a satisfier. And so we do, and sin enters into the world. We want to be loved. We want to be affirmed, so we manipulate. We want to be safe, so we kill, so we fight. We want to be successful, so we cut corners to increase our profit margin. And the list goes on and on and on and on. Legitimate needs being met in illegitimate ways, we call it sin. When we do things our way and not God's way, because his word isn't quite true enough, and his works are not quite good enough for me, so I'm going to have to take matters into my own hands. And because of this sin, because of this rebellion that entered into the world, listen closely, listen, listen. Romans chapter 8 tells us, because of this sin and rebellion, that we have been at enmity, say enmity, that we have been at enmity with God. You know what that word means translated in our language? War. Because of our sin and rebellion, humanity has been at war with God. Yeah, war. Because we're still fighting over who really gets to be king of my life. War. War. Romans chapter 6 goes on to tell us because of this war, because of our sin and our rebellion, that the wages, the cost, the eventual outcome is going to be death. Yeah. Unless you were surprised at the fact that we are not God and we cannot be God or beat God, the wages of sin, our selfishness infringing on the holiness of a creator, benevolent God that gave us all that we need. Stepping beyond those realms, sinning against God himself to do things our way. We have been at war with him. And the wages of those sins, every single one of those sins, not the culmination of those sins, but each one of those sins, the wages of it is death. Yeah. But according to John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he was at war with. So loved the world. That he was at war with. 
That brings us to the next part of the gospel story. He was so in love with the world that he was at war with that he gave his only son so that whosoever would believe in him would not perish. Death was the consequence of our sin. But God gave his son so that whosoever would believe in him wouldn't have to experience the ultimate consequence. I, I, don't, know if you're, I don't know if you're picking up kind of the, the order of operations here. God created, we destroyed, he loved, and he gave. We, we're not even done with the verse yet. And we've just seen yet again the big picture of, man, this is about the glory and the goodness of God, not about our wickedness and depravity. We fit into the story in a small way, but the big picture is the glory and the love of God. As soon as we showed up, we started wrecking stuff. And so his response to that was love and give. He gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish. We were the ones in this war that were destined for death because we are the ones that had sinned. Destined for death, eternal, complete, body, soul, and spirit, death. Romans 5.8 tells us that, but God, showing his love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we, while, while we were at war with God, because of our sin and rebellion, Christ died for us. Death had to happen. Cameron talked about it, that blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. This was God's declaration since the beginning of assembling a people of his own. But here's the thing, like what God's holiness demanded, his love provided for. The, the righteous decree of God is that blood had to be shed to pay for yours and my sins. But his love was so overwhelming for us that he became the blood that was shed. He stepped into our story. Yes, God was so moved by his love for us that he stepped into the battlefield of humanity and let us kill him because something had to die. And the Old Testament sacrificial system of constantly having to bring a sacrifice so that it would divert God's wrath from our sins for a time. That had to be done away with too. That was an insufficient program. So God himself shed his royal robes, stepped into the war, lived a perfect life that none of us could live, died a death that every single one of us deserved so that he could pay a price for us that none of us could afford to pay. This is Jesus. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Is this sounding like good news to anybody yet? This is why we call it good news. This should sound like good news. This should feel like good news. This is one reason why we don't do hellfire and brimstone teaching around here. I do believe that hell is a real place. I do believe the eventual consequence of those that not, do not bow their heart to Jesus as king. But every time I'm reading throughout the scriptures, I see that it was the loving kindness of God that produced repentance. I'm not going to be able to consequence you to the cross. That's just manipulation. That's not choosing Jesus. That's choosing not to go to hell. There's a total difference. That's why I got saved 9,336 times when I was a kid. I didn't love Jesus. I hated hell. You know, I hated the idea of it. I wanted every bit of fire insurance I could get. And so if they were doing an altar call, I was going, baby, because I was going to make sure. 
man, a description and a, a sermon of, that helps people understand fear is never going to change a life. But as Pastor Dave said, when you can be stunned by the love of God, it will change you forever. Forever. He gave his only son to be the sacrifice on the cross for all of our sins. Literally, the, the way that 2 Corinthians 5 describes this, I, I love how Paul describes this to the Corinthians. He, he said it like this in these words, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He became sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become, we could become the righteousness of God. Now we're going to talk about the righteousness of God more specifically next week, but here's the point. He who knew no sin became sin so that we who knew no righteousness could become righteous. Let me break it down for you a little bit further. He who had never sinned took on all of our sin so that we who were not righteous could take on all of his righteousness. Let me break it down for you a little bit further. On the cross that day, God treated Jesus like we deserved so that he could treat us like Jesus deserves. Does that sound like good news to you? Does that sound like an extraordinary, majestic love of God? Stunning love. Stepped into our story to become the sacrifice, to take on our sin and take on our death so that we could take on his life and take on his righteousness once and for all, for all time. I love how he did this. I, this is one of my favorite scripture passages that kind of described the how, like what happened in that moment on the cross. And it says this, and uh, I'm not going to throw it up on the screen. Just listen to this. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. You who were dead in your trespasses, so you who were dead in your sins, that was every one of us, the wages of sin is death, who were dead in our sins, we were made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our sins. This is how he did it. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this is where he did it, he set them aside by nailing it to the cross. And in doing so, you know, Satan and the demons were standing around that day while Jesus was being nailed to the cross thinking that they had won something. Having a little celebration party. Little did they know, verse 15, he, Jesus, who had nailed these sins to the cross, in doing so disarmed the rulers and authorities of wickedness and darkness and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. In other words, they were celebrating a victory, not knowing that Jesus was going to turn that cross into a throne. The love story of God. Display his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. Does this sound like good news to you? But like every great deal ever, I must say, but wait, there's more. Oftentimes when we talk about the gospel story, we only tell the middle part. We only say, well, we were sinners, so Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and if you believe in him, you get to go to heaven one day. Like we miss the magnitude and the beauty of the gospel that would take weeks for us to really dive through and talk about it. But I, I, I do want you to see that even in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He wasn't just going to forgive sins. 
He was going to make us new. He wasn't just going to set us free from who we were. He was going to transform us into something brand new for what he has called us to be one day, that we get to be a part of this big, beautiful picture one day. This is how we are told about it in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what kind of creation? A new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. This is why you've heard us say time and time again, like, Coming to Christ Jesus doesn't make us sinners who are saved by grace. When I read the gospel, when I read the scriptures, what I find out is that I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has been taken off and the new has been put on. And this is why the New Testament scriptures don't call us not once, not one single time, even though it sounds cute when your grandma says it, sinners saved by grace. Because the old is gone and the new has come. Now we're declared as saints who sometimes sin. Saints. Do you realize that the blood that was shed by Jesus on that cross was so potent? His purified blood was so potent that it didn't just give you a temporary bath to wash the sins away, that eventually they would come back onto you, that you would need this ongoing sacrifice. You know, Hebrews tells us very clearly several times that Jesus was a once and for all sacrifice. His blood was enough for your past, present, and future sins. They didn't, his blood didn't just cover your sins up, it washed them away. Washed them away. Once and for all, for all time. The Old Testament prophets speak of a day that our sins would be cast as far as east is from west. We live in that day. Your sins have been thrown so far away. Cameron talked about it at communion. Have been thrown so far away by the hand of God. If you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, you haven't just been forgiven for him. He's forgotten about him. He cast them as far as the east is from the west. They are further east than where the sun rises. They are further west than where the sun sets. In other words, you ain't going to run into them ever again. Catch a picture of the love of God. That's a display of his glory, a display of his love, that while we were still sinners, that he would do this for whosoever would believe and give us this everlasting life. New creations, the old has passed away, the new has come. Galatians 2.20 puts it like this. For I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives within me. He deposited himself into our lives. God doesn't just see us as who we are. He sees us as his son, Christ Jesus. Jesus took on our sin so we could take on his righteousness. And believing in Jesus as Lord and confessing him as the king of your life, you are made right with God once and for all, for all time. You are made right with God. Man, we have this future hope too in the gospel. It's not about just his past work and his present work, but I think about just this little nugget of truth for the future, and I see it in Revelation chapter 21, and I want to encourage you with this. Man, because the good news just keeps coming. Here's kind of a glimpse into the end of days when we are all together. Jesus, all the saints that have gone before us, there's going to come a day, my friends, that Revelation 21.4 says that he is going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. 
Thank God, man. This life thing is just chaotic on its best day. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. And all the dead things, you know, the things that cause mourning, the things that cause crying, the things that cause pain, all the dead things are going to be former things because they are going to have passed away. The discouragement, the doubt, the fear, the depression, the anxiety, the hopelessness, the poverty, former things. The sickness, the disease, the weariness, the stress, the frustration, the hate, former things. They're going to all pass away. Jesus didn't just come to take on death as us on the cross. He also came to conquer death for us. Yeah, and that skin bag you're wearing right now, it's going to die. It was designed to be temporary. It ain't going to last forever. He's not talking about your skin suit lasting forever. He's talking about you, the you behind the skin, the spirit, who you are, that has been remade by Christ Jesus, has now been remade to the eternal life of Christ. Your eternal life with Jesus doesn't begin when you kick the bucket here on earth. It begins the day that you confess Jesus as Lord. This is why we're like so serious about the gospel here at GBC. I don't want the people of GBC to step foot into heaven one day and be surprised at what's going on. We wanna practice heaven on earth. We wanna learn what it's like to walk with Jesus right now. And the invitation is not to church people, it's not to rich people, it's not to poor people, it's to whosoever, whoever will believe. Whoever, you fit quite comfortably into the whoever category. Your sin sheet, your rap sheet, your criminal history, all your marriages and divorces, all of your failures and flaws and your weariness, all of your stuff, none of that is a disqualifying factor because that's what makes you part of the whosoevers. But the ones who will receive this life that Jesus has given us are the ones who will believe and confess in Jesus as King and Lord. Let me take you back to John 3.16 because I want you to hear this as one threaded statement. Many have memorized John 3.16, but we don't know 17 or 18, so let me tell you what it says. Just listen. And he who has ears, let him hear. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved 
through him. Hey, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You see the choice that's to be made right there? Do you believe that Jesus is Lord and King? Do you believe in his words and his work on the cross? Man, for the first time in my life, I heard this passage of scripture taught in this way this week, and I just wanted to show you where we all sit right now in real time. You and I, every one of us, this is where we stand. Some of the most loving words of God ever displayed in scripture is in Hebrews chapter 4, 13, and it says this. No creature, nothing created by God, no creature, you or I, is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give an account. Jesus, the righteous judge, he sees you. He sees every bit of you. He knows every thought and word and deed. He knows what you believe. He knows if you're a church person that plays church. He knows if you're a wanderer whose heart longs for Jesus. He knows where you're at, who you are, what you're doing, what you're thinking, what you're feeling. Everything is exposed before the eyes of the Holy One. He sees you right now. He sees you and everything about you right now. For much of my life, I have been ashamed of that and embarrassed. Even reading those words right now, I feel ashamed. He sees me. He sees me. But as with all the things of the Word of God, we can't just stop right there because he goes on to tell us these words. For since we do have this righteous judge, this great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For he is not a high priest. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are, yet he was without sin. Because of that, Grace Bible, let us then with confidence, with boldness, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. May you hear the loving words of God displayed. I see you. I see all your sin, man. Are you ready to be forgiven? I see that guilt. Aren't you tired of carrying it? I see your shame. Aren't you tired of being named by it? Haunted by it?
Have you realized that you don't make a very good king? But the king of glory has stepped into the battlefield of, uh, battlefield of humanity to rescue those who believe. And I'm reminded in this passage right here, behind the all-seeing eyes of the righteous judge Jesus is a sympathetic heart that beats with love for us, madly in love with us, so in love, in fact, that he got up off of his throne to come running after us. You know, I hear sermons about run to Jesus. As I realize when I read the Gospels, you don't got to run to Jesus. You just got to stop running. He'll run smack into you. He's been running after you since the day you took his first, your first breath. He's been longing for you to be his child, to confess him as Lord and King. To, he longs to forgive those sins. He longs to give you a new life. He longs to wipe away every tear. He longs to give you the promise of heaven and the hope that we have in Jesus. But the invitation is to whosoever will believe. And I ain't talking about your church attendance, and we ain't talking about what you think is a good idea, or culturally, or cognitively what makes sense. I'm talking about whosoever would believe. Whosoever's heart would declare that Jesus is king shall be saved. Would you pray with me? I don't know why or for what reason you rolled up in here this morning, but I do know that it was by no mistake that the King of Glory appointed for you a moment to be saturated in his gospel. This good news, this hope that we have in him As your heads are bowed, I'm reminded that gospel is not, first and foremost, a Christian word. The ancient Romans came up with this. Gospel was a term that they used when they had good news to tell. And in times of war, when a king would go off to fight, if that king would lose, he would have to send generals into his cities to prepare the people for battle. But because since the king lost the war, the people were gonna have to learn to fight. The enemy was going to advance their livelihood, their health, their future, their families were in jeopardy. And it was gonna be in their own hands. But if a king went to war and won the war, he didn't send generals into the cities. He sent messengers. They went by the name evangelists. And they would go into the cities and they would declare the gospel, the good news. That the king has won the war. And your life and your livelihood and your hope and your future have been secured by the king's victory. Though you yourself didn't have to lift a finger, the gospel, that is the message of the scriptures. 
that our king has secured for us a victory that we did not have to lift a finger for. Our future and our hope, our past and our present have been secured by the victory of King Jesus. Now, the question is, do you believe? Do you believe? And I won't drag this out, but while people have their heads bowed and we are praying to Jesus for one another, I have to ask the question. We had seven people in the last service that for the first time in their lives confessed Jesus as Lord and King, and I'm wondering how many are in this one. I'm not gonna drag you in front of everybody. I don't wanna embarrass you. I want, and you simply raising your hand does not save you. That's just you letting me know that your heart now declares that Jesus is Lord and King, and you are now saved because of your faith and trust in him. Your sins have been forgiven. Your future has been secured because you believe upon the Lord Jesus as King. Is there anyone in this room this morning, this is your first time making that confession from your heart, would you slip your hand up just long enough that I can see you so that I know that you have made that confession. God bless you, sweetheart. I see you in the middle. God bless you, sir. I see you down the middle. God bless you. I see you toward the front. God bless you. I see you over in the back. I see you. I see you. He sees you. <laughs> he sees you. I see you. Anybody else? I see you back all the way over in the corner. God bless you. Little one. Now, as I pray, as always, Grace Bible, don't listen to me pray. You pray while I pray. And I'm going to pray over these folks and over us. And Father, we are grateful for the gift of your son, Jesus, the hope that we have in him, the price that was paid so that we can be set free. The gospel sounds like such good news. Sometimes it's hard to believe. Could it be that the king of glory loved us so much that he came to rescue us? secure our hope and our lives and our future while we didn't lift yet a finger. God, your love is astounding, it's scandalous, it's extraordinary. And Father, we confess that you are king and we love you and we thank you for your love for us and for those that have chosen you today. Lord, I pray that you would just wrap your arms around them as I know that you have promised to dwell in them. Lord, that you would be their peace and their comfort, that you would be their first steps towards growing as disciples of Jesus, that their lives would be clear markers of the glory of God from here to eternity. Only you can do that. But use us, use them. In Jesus' name we pray. All these things and all God's people said, amen. Grace Bible, I want you to celebrate with me the seven last service and the four in this service that confess Jesus is Lord.